Hi there, I'm Mariah Parsons, your host of Retention Chronicles. E-commerce brands are starting to shift their strategy to focus on retention and the customer experience. And so we've decided to reach out to top DTC brands and dive deeper into their tactics and challenges. But here's the thing, we love going on tangents. And so with our guests, you'll often find us talking about the latest trends as well as any and all things in the Shopify ecosystem. So go ahead and start that workout or go on that walk and tune in as we chat with the leading minds in the space. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our other episodes at gomalomo.com. So hello, everyone. Today we are joined by Matt, and I am so excited to have you here on Retention Chronicles. We're going to get into a lot of amazing stuff, but before we do so, Matt, I would love if you would say hi, introduce yourself, give give your background, and um, why you're on the podcast today. Sure. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Um, to give you a brief overview, I started business when I was 17. Since then, the last 15 years, I'm 33 now, I've had about 26 different businesses across 10 different verticals. I think throughout my life, I optimized more for experience rather than, I guess, money. Otherwise, I would have stayed in one business. And <laughs> through that, I've, I've learned a lot, which hopefully I can share today. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I would love to go into your background because I think it's very interesting. And like when I saw that, is is are these the correct numbers? Like 26 different companies? Yeah. Is that yeah. correct? Okay, yeah. Companies 10 verticals? Yeah. Crazy, crazy stuff. So like... Tell us all about that, kind of what background led you to um, founding 26 different companies and 10 brands? Like what, have you always kind of been entrepreneurial, like ever since you can remember? Yeah, ever since I can remember when I was young, I think I was. Um, it's probably a story of, I remember mom telling me when she gave me $5 to go get a drink or something in the shops. And I went to the shops and I saw like these toys that I wanted. And I went back and asked for more money. The toys were like 20 bucks. And she didn't want to give it to me. So I went back to the shop and then my mind just started rationalizing, how can I make the extra $15 Delta? So I bought, <laughs> I bought 10 pens and sold them door to door and made my $20 and bought the toys. So potentially something would That's have amazing. been yeah, inside me when I was younger. I don't know. But I think I was lucky enough at the age of 17 to start working at a business coaching firm, consulting firm. I was doing mm-hmm. the telemarketing. So I got to speak to like hundred businesses a day, trying to sell them on business consulting. And through that, being a business owner every single day, I see a lot of businesses, the numbers they're doing, employee size, their profit margins. So I think, yeah, that gave me a big advantage as to the outlook on the business world. And when my first business was telemarketing, I went out and started my own business in the same field that I was in. And ever since then, it just kind of, I guess, compounded. Because like anything, when you become ultra obsessed with something, your mind just starts to see opportunities where they're potentially not. And, and being young and flexible and having no risk, I didn't see a disadvantage to really going and trying everything I could because I, I wasn't really in love with any one business. And yeah, so I just really optimized for experience and went against the grain of what everyone was telling me to stick with one. And I just kept starting new businesses. Yeah, I think that's that's very interesting that you chose to like, like everyone was kind of saying like stick with one business and that you're like, no, like I know that I have to do this for my own fulfillment and my own value or like my new adventure. Right. Like that. I think it's so fascinating to see someone who's founded so many, because usually it's like a founder is like they, they, they 
with their brand. It's like their little baby, right? Like they're so in love with like the problem that their technology is solving or their products or whatnot, it would be really hard to step away. So did you find like any of that, it was difficult to step away or you were kind of excited and enticed by new projects? Yeah, I think I was always excited at the thought of starting something new. And I always always had different, I guess, I don't know, shackles on me with, with existing businesses that didn't really maybe allow me to grow it to a certain point that I wanted to. So that's probably why I looked elsewhere, where there have been issues with the stakeholders in the business, whether it be the market of the business. So I don't know how it would have been if I had a business where the potential was to grow, say, to a nine-figure business, if I would have stuck with it. But all the businesses I started, you know, didn't have that huge potential. So mm-hmm. then that's yep. why I looked elsewhere. And yeah, it's probably the main reason. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. I think that's a very fair reason. So is it a correct assumption that under um, the business consulting is when you worked with like the big wigs, kind of like the, like under armor, I know you had a, you had a, um, or that's not with them. No, so no, I worked on, so I, it was about seven years ago, I got the license for Umbro in Australia. So it's like the team, Mm. apparel brand. So we would do manufacturing for them and distribution for Australia. And Under Armour saw what we're doing on the licensing model, and they've actually never done that before. And they were looking for a similar model, so they approached us to see if we could do that for them. And we did for the first year or two, and that was just slightly difficult to work with and didn't make sense for us. So we just focused on the Umbro piece. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, cool. And then um, I remember as well, your you worked with like Manchester United and Liverpool as well. Yeah, so I had another couple of licenses. I Manchester United, Liverpool. I did like Easter eggs for mass retailers um, with like mugs with like the team jersey every year. I did gotcha. soccer balls with them, soccer goals. I also developed like the world's first flying Angry Birds toy because a lot. Of, another part of my business was developing drones, selling to mass retailers. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the model of like, because then my, it's funny because every one of my previous experiences led to me looking at a certain business differently, right? And I was grabbing from like one learnings and adding on to the next. So I didn't mention I had a Liverpool license and then a couple of years later, I was making drones. I was like, hey, how can I use the licensing model in the drone world? And then I got the Angry Birds license. So that's how that came apart, yeah. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I think that's what like all smart business leaders are should be doing, right? Is like taking their learnings from the previous company that they worked with or worked for, founded and like, like baking that into their new strategy. Um, yeah, so that, I think that makes a lot good, of sense. It's probably good to say that my biggest fuck-ups were my biggest learnings, which I profited the most from. So at times where you mm-hmm. think you've lost the most, you've actually gained the most. And this happens to me like countless times. For example, you know, I had one issue where I was selling, I was like the first ones, I had always had a good knack of like spotting trends, right? So I was like the first to sell power banks for the phones. Like when I saw, mm. I saw this like 10 years ago when everyone, all the retailers like, nah, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And I had to take a risk. I'm like, I'm going to pay for the stock, put it in your stores. You don't pay me till you sell it. Obviously it works. We're selling like 10,000 pieces a week. And then I had an issue where one of the Chinese um, suppliers put in a fake battery and a, and my luck, the one of the customers actually dropped it and started like catching on fire and he returned wow. it to the retailer. And this is like a $10 product. So I don't know what the fuck you dream return a $10 product. But anyway... So he returned that product and then the QA came back to us. They're like, hey, in your reports, you have purple batteries, but this one's an orange battery. I'm like, what the hell? This is a bit weird. So we had like 100,000 pieces circulating for stores and the warehouse and stuff. And we found out the, that the factory 
or three three thousand units short of the certified battery. So they just put in three thousand of the fake one, thinking these guys are going to know out of hundred thousand pieces. And my like the one that the customer dropped was that one. And anyway, so yeah, so I had like a national recall where literally I had to recall all the products that I sold, and ruin my like relationship and obviously money wise. But then two years later, I by by then I had, like a PhD in batteries, right? For the whole yeah. You know the ins and outs and everything. Yeah, the circuit boards, the fucking safety mechanisms. I know I had to know everything. But then two years later, the hoverboards came out. I'm like, this is a cool trend. I'm going to get on this. And obviously, that initial catching on fire, right? Mm-hmm. But obviously, mine didn't catch on fire because I had this fucking PhD in batteries. So I went right. from from zero to $2 million in like two months. Um, Whoa. Hoverboards for like a premium price. It was on the news and everything else. cool, like the safest hoverboards on the market and that business ran and we just i just sold it this year for like the next seven years and i made millions of dollars so do you know what I mean? and but without that previous fuck up i would never have understood the battery issue i never would have had that brand so that that right. you know that loss that was a couple hundred grand 300 grand ended up being you know millions of dollars in sales yeah that's that's i feel like is is that kind of unique that like you can see such a direct correlation with like some area that obviously went awry and went wrong for reasons that weren't really your own, but then like directly correlates to success with another product. Like, I feel like most people wouldn't get that validation of yeah. like, okay, yeah, you messed up with these batteries, but then in this other product, like you were ahead of the game because you knew X, Y, Z, you knew like everything that you had to know about batteries. Like, I feel like that's a rare case where you get to see like the mess up and then the the learnings from the mess up like pay off. Yeah, look, it, it could be. I think I'm also hyper aware because I, I spent a lot of time learning about psychology just because I thought it would help me in business, right? And mm-hmm. like, even I'm always self-analyzing myself and, and my journey. So I remember like when I was 18, I had no money. I worked in three jobs. I didn't pay myself the first three years, that whole normal narrative. Like I still wanted to go out and pick up girls, but then I had no money to do so. So I learned the right. art of picking like how to pick up girls. I went for that whole system. I learned everything. I was interesting. I had stories. I had gambits, all this kind of stuff. And then when I came into money, you know, like my personality dissipated, like it vanished because I'd go out and I wouldn't need to even talk. And the girls would be like, oh, man, you're so funny. And I wouldn't even say anything. So then, <laughs> and, then I was there, and then I was like, what's happening to me? And I could see myself, like my personality slightly deteriorating as I went into money, right? Because the value system of me internally was slightly changing in terms of my financial wealth and people were gravitating to me because of that. But then my, my personality was sacrificing. So like, I'd even notice things like that. So I don't know, maybe it's in the work I've done through psychology allows me to self-analyze different parts of my life. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I actually, I have a background in neuroscience and so like psychology and all of that good stuff is what I love. So I have no, um, I have no doubt that self-awareness plays into that and you're able to take those learnings onto the next venture. Um, so with that, I want to get into football supplements a bit. So preliminary question, um, can you give us like kind of elevator pitch or background on how then you use all these different ventures to then make your brand football supplements? Sure. So probably an important thing to notice is that over the years I've found that Money is slightly autistic when you're just talking about money. Money carries a certain signature. And I felt that the different businesses I had, the money carried a different signature in terms of how I was making it. And it felt different. And mm-hmm. the authentic money versus non-authentic money. So the more authenticity I had within a business, the more intrinsic value that I derived, the money meant more to me. 
So, you know, an authentic business for me um, is pretty much today trying to optimize for something that I love doing so much that not only will I do it for free, but I would actually pay the person to do it, if that makes sense. That's kind of like my mental model around creating business. Yeah. So last four years, I didn't work. I'm like, how can I create a business where it kind of fits that model? And for me, I was a semi-professional footballer. Um, I didn't make it because, not because probably my technique, is more because of my physicality didn't meet the standards because I was always inflamed and I had some issues internally. Mm. I went on a massive health journey a couple of years ago and I kind of realized that if I knew today, back then, I probably would have made my dream of becoming a professional footballer. And I was like, okay. I can help players in my position do that because I was just so passionate about it. And then I was having a look at the supplement space because I also have a supplement store in Australia. I was looking at the landscapes. I worked at Manchester United at Liverpool. I had the Umbro license, which works with soccer teams as well. So I'm looking at this whole market. I'm thinking like no one specializes in creating supplements for players and educating them on the nutrition side of things, right? Which is like the most important thing for them. And that's where it kind of was born. I'm like, no one's really doing this. I can do this. I, I help my friends who are professional footballers for free. And I just love helping them and seeing the, the positive feedback loops in terms of, you know, their playing careers being elevated from learning what, I'm, what I've learned. And that's when yeah, the business kind of formed. Yeah, that's great to have like such a direct correlation or like have an in with the business, right? Like, like your background, really, I'm sure we haven't talked about it, but I, I feel okay making the assumption that your background very much influenced your knowledge around the space and the supplements that, um, you know, the supplement space as well, like you said, your background. So I think that piece, like when I was just looking through your guys' website, because of course I had to do my background, um, my research. So like one thing that really stuck out was the education around players. And I was a collegiate athlete myself. And so like, I know the process of recovery and like trying to educate athletes in the space. Unfortunately, sometimes it it doesn't always happen where there's a huge initiative to do so. And so, you know, with that background of like, you know, the importance of oh, these different supplements, um, like this is going to help your performance in this way. This is good. What you need to excel in this area, like all these different things, just like overall health, very important, but also very hard to get right. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, there's all, cool. there's competing, competing philosophies everywhere. So yeah. And one of the things that stuck out is like, you guys have like science backed or data backed. I forget what the actual messaging on the website was, but, um, the, importance of making sure that what your your product is like a great it has a great standard but then that your consumer like actually knows what this supplement is going to impact is i i think more and more important as we continue to get into a world where the transparency of a product and what's going into it what's going into the environment what's going into your body like every single step of the way the consumer now cares about do you would you say like that you see that on the football supplement side, because we see that on Maloma's side, like that's one of our biggest things of the customer wants information, like all the information, however, whatever information you can give a consumer there, they want, you know, they want to lower that bail and want to know more. Yeah. I think that is the case for most industries. Um, I think the football market is, it's in an infant stage in terms of supplementation. Mm, like, okay, interesting. I don't even know what a carb is. It's extremely funny. And 
based on I said background I have in terms of psychology and stuff like that, when I when I try and self-analyze why that is and how they can get away with so much, it seems to be in, in all parts of life, the more authentic your day-to-day is, the more the authentic your activities are, the more you can get away with in life. Like mm-hmm. for them, football became just comes so easy because they just love the game so much that they can kind of afford to eat shit and the body compromises, you know, where in other walks of life, you wouldn't be able to have an office job and, you know, eat the way they do and still perform at the highest level. So they've been able to get away with a lot more than they probably should, but the game's becoming increasingly more demanding and players are catching on that. If they do eat right, you know, it can change the performance. So that's going to make yeah, a big difference, I think, in the years to come when people start to realise how important it is. Yeah, I love that you drew that distinction of like you can just because of your lifestyle, like get away with more yeah. in the health world. And it's super ironic because obviously like athletes, you think they must know everything about nutrition and health and like maintaining your body. But because of their situation, they like, they might, you know, might be the first thing to go when you're stressed or tired or yeah, exhausted. Well, like, you think about it like rationally to do something that you like love to do and frop over do you really have to feel great to go do it? If anything, doing it's going to make you feel good, right? Yeah. So it's slightly different, yeah, to people who can just go to the gym. I don't think everyone really enjoys going lifting heavy weights and stuff and substitute bodybuilder. But for them, yeah, it becomes a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, you've never had that, or it's easier to generate the want to go and play a game, I would say, than like, um, if it's always been there. Yeah. That makes, okay. that makes a ton of sense. Um, so then where, so, um, the day to day, I'm always super interested with this for founders. Cause it looks so different. Yeah. Whoever you ask. Right. So like, where do you find most of your responsibilities kind of lie in? Like, what does the day to day look like before we really get into like true, true shop talk about football supplements? Sure. Well, uh, I think for me, based on the number of business I have, I kind of realized earlier on, early on, probably like six, seven years ago, that my role is best as a founder, like to have the vision for the company, mm. you know, architect them, design the business, find the right people, make sure there's money in, in the bank for them to run it. And I always give a portion away of every business to the team. So this is where I'm more valuable, to be outside of the business and think for my experience, try and see how I can strategically help the business. When I'm in it, I'm useless. Uh, but today... <laughs> For the football subs, because the education piece is so important and this is the part that I'm so passionate about, no one else can really, I guess, run that department more so than me. So I'm right. at the moment, I'm just constructing content. I'm doing a content strategy, creating a plan how to educate these kids, creating a masterclass, you know, speaking to nutritionists, reading papers. This is probably my job for the next couple of years at, at Football Substance to just create the most in-depth, I guess, easily consumable masterclass and football nutrition there is in the market to try and help these players. Yeah. I, I really respect that. And I see the self-awareness that you're talking about with like your work and, um, your work to understand where you best fit in a company and knowing like operationally, you don't want to be like boots on the ground and being the ones to actually execute. Like you much more prefer to sit on the higher level in the strategy and be like, okay, educating the customers. Like that is one of the reasons I'm sure you founded football supplements. That's what I'm getting from this conversation, right? Like staying true to that rather than taking everything that you possibly can on your plate and doing it all right. Like it's, it's, I think I love the point that you made, like hiring people 
to who are experts in the field and what they do to execute. And, um, I know as I like my own personal life, look at some of the best leaders, like they know, and they sit better in the strategic level. And so like for them to be able to take their learnings and like employ the right people, I think it's all the more power to you, right? Like that self-awareness of just knowing, um, this is where I can do best and educating the customer. Like we we've talked about is super, super important. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I admire that for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. And like the first hire I did for football subs was CEO. Cause I just know I'm not a good CEO. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah, and said it's extremely important to know that, but there also, it's also privileged to be able to get to a stage where you have the resources to do those hires at the start, you have to do everything. And I think doing everything at the start also gives you a great foundation to be able to assess other people in the business and their roles. You know, I think I've seen a lot of founders that didn't do everything from day one because they had the capital. And, and I just think I'm probably better founder yeah. than they are because I did right. Mm-hmm. Right. So what would you, what would you kind of say as we've been, I want to get into the strategy, which we will in a second. Um, but what would you say to anyone who's looking to found their own brand? I know you also, um, you also have inspire brands group, which is, we haven't even touched upon yet because that's how much <laughs> information you have. Um, so like, what would you say, like with the knowledge from that group, um, how would you advise someone who's maybe looking to start their own like D2C brand? Yeah, I think the way I would look at it is first of all, try and do something that you intrinsically enjoy. Try and mm-hmm. why? Because I think today the most important thing is to acquire real estate online. And as a founder, if you have something you're passionate about, you're going to be, it's going to be easy for you to create content around that. And that's probably the most efficient way to start. And, mm-hmm. and I would also look in areas where the online real estate is cheap from an influence perspective. The reason why I love the football supplements is because it's like 70,000 professional players and none of them have brand deals okay. like supplements. So I know that that real estate in terms of influencer in, in the football space is extremely cheap compared to, you know, we have another brand called Cure Skincare, which is extremely expensive. So that, I think that's a good play today because, you know, Facebook, Instagram, for new brands to try and crack that platform with all the issues around attribution, it's becoming yeah, a challenge. Yeah. I definitely want to get into that influencer marketing. It's one of the things that I also picked up on just from like your social presence and your website and whatnot. But you mentioned a little bit like attribution with social and so like privacy changes also a huge issue in the marketing world. So what would you kind of say, like what marketing strategies do you love to use or love seeing like other brands use around like trying to attribute like higher, um, raising acquisition costs, iOS changes, all of that. Yeah, more than ever, multi-channel approach, I think, is fundamental. You know, the mm-hmm. saying before, like, find one channel, one avatar, one product and crack it. I, 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 I don't know, probably disagree against that today. You know, I've always done well, you know, optimizing 80% on everything rather than 100% on one thing. That's just been my okay. job. It's right or wrong. But especially with the marketplace at the moment, Facebook's great for testing and, and everything else, but it's becoming increasingly hard. And I think people who want to go down that path, especially Facebook, have to understand that the messaging is the new testing, is the new interest test, um, new interest placements. Meaning that the messaging that your creative has will dictate what audience it goes to more so. When before we relied a lot more on Facebook, now we have to be a lot more specific with our messaging in mm-hmm. terms of the creative. So like 
For football supplements, we have three types of avatars, an academy player, semi-pro, and a Sunday league person. Then we have to assess like what stage of awareness is each of those players at in terms of supplements. And then we have to create messaging around each of those stages for each of those avatars. Like it's a fucking big job. But yeah. this, <laughs> like this is the only way that we can get cut through and try and understand how to create our content and, and really be able to scale with that many creators. Yeah, that's knowing your avatar is like, and your audience um and where they're all at it, it's a beast of a um, yeah, yeah. a beast of a yeah a, a project i guess <laughs> yeah so if you're going to start out like i said if you try and pick a place where the influencer market isn't saturated so you know that real estate online is cheap uh, an industry where you can as a founder create content and acquire an audience in the community uh, for free just spending your time with sweat equity and then third of all where you can just focus on one avatar and trying to dial that all in that'd be ideal yeah yeah for sure i love that advice um let's so let's talk about the influencer marketing as well because we've like circled around it um and as you said like there isn't there's a lot of opportunity in influencer and affiliate marketing in your category or your vertical so i saw it just as from you know consuming the um social presence the influencer um appeal right because you have all these different players and you have people's favorites and uh, it correct me if i'm wrong but it seems like there isn't as much like if you're not in the football world then you wouldn't necessarily know a ton about like different players um correct and like if you're not like me i i like watching sports but i'm not like i couldn't yeah. rattle off you know, like let alone like NFL players, which America obviously like biggest sport, but like let alone any other sport, right? I might I might be able to get 10 across different <laughs> teams. So with like the influencer marketing, I'm saying this even to build up to the point that even though I don't know specifically who the best player is or who the best team is or any of that, I can still see, oh, you have an influencer who really likes your brand that social proof still resonates even if you aren't a huge fan of football or um are in like are in the weeds or in the niche um like you don't know all the all the little all the details right so like what kind of did you always know that with your background in football like semi pro did you always kind of see that opportunity there or is it really once you like started thinking about marketing strategy that you employed that? Yeah. It's when I started thinking about marketing strategy and if I was going to start the business, because I knew that'd be a large acquisition channel for us. And yeah, as soon as I thought about it, I guess somewhat a deep level, I could see that the opportunity because no, it's like an untouched market. These players don't have the ability to monetize their audiences. They just haven't done it. You know, in America, NFL football and stuff like that, Americans are amazing at that stuff. Where in Europe, they're very far behind. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So, and would you say, so the supplements brand or supplements industry just in general, would you say that's also kind of an underutilized market no. or would you? No, no, no? Yeah, they're molestering that market. Okay. That's what I was kind of understanding, but I was like, maybe I need to check myself because I'm wrong because yeah. I was like, I feel like, yeah. Okay. So it is this interesting like spot that you're in where it's supplements in general, really, really, really relies heavily on influencer marketing. And then football hasn't really caught up to that in the supplements industry. So that's correct. Right. 
Yeah, correct. Exactly. Okay, cool. So what would you say then, like, how has that helped football subs in general? Like as far as the marketing plays, um, like the customer, do you get a lot of feedback from like customers where it's like, oh, this is my favorite football player or my favorite, um, like you know, this was the thing that convinced me? Yeah, look, I think for us it's slightly a blind spot because there's a number of ways we could we could acquire these influencers, rather through team deals, through agents, through players direct. And what we didn't really, I guess, plan ahead with is, is the form of the team or the player before signing. Mm-hmm. And this ultimately depends on how well the ad works. So if we sign a team and they're doing like shit, like mm-hmm the comments are all like, these guys are losers. They're losing. So if they're taking these supplements, then they're probably not working. Um, yeah. So we didn't see, realize how volatile that could be. Uh, okay. That's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how, made some so big, then oh, what's that? We made some big learnings and like we used to, we had signed with one team for three years, which we probably not wouldn't do unless, yeah, we like us signing a team is is a big gamble depending on the team's performance. So at the moment, we're trying to do a lot shorter, sharper deals to try and acquire customers rather than long term deals. Okay, interesting. So would it be less volatile then, in your opinion, to like sign a player individually? Yeah. Would you would. say than like a team? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. That's really interesting. How are you? What um, like? How are you, is it, are you finding most of these, their teams or, um, players through ads? Like you said, with the avatars that you're targeting or how do you acquire them? Are you like using a software? No, the teams, we just, it's through network only. We can't really get to those teams anywhere else. Okay. Gotcha. Super interesting. Okay, cool. So what's the process look like then for when you have these, uh, influencers, we talked about like educating the consumer, right? So what is, I'm just curious, like, what does it look like when you say you get like a new, um, team or a new player who is like, I really like football supplements. I want to, um, be an advocate, be an affiliate for your brand. What does that kind of look like for like education? I know you mentioned a lot of your day-to-day is creating that content. So what have you found like the most success in what resonates with the influencers that you have on your team? Yeah, I think it depends on who the influencer is. The influencer is a coach or it's a player or if it's a nutritionist. So mm-hmm. there's different levels and different messaging for all of them. You know, the players, other players want to see their routine and what they're using. There's not much education there. So instead of just timing, like I take this at this time, that at that time, the nutritionists are more explaining why they're taking it, right? And then the teams is also more of a story as to why, the science and the, the benefits. So players is more frequency and timing and what they're taking and the other ones are more educational in terms of what these actually supplements are doing okay cool so largely your market like your icp is obviously like you said the three avatars um of like ranging levels of professional football do you ever see like like non-professional football players looking to get into supplements like i'm thinking like um I don't really know if collegiate football is like. Yeah, so like our avatars are semi uh, amateur players, which are Sunday leaguers. Then there's okay, Sunday leaguers. And then semi pro. So 
you know, we have a pregame supplement that increases your energy, focus, and endurance, which anyone can take, especially if you're not trained during the weeks and you've got a job and stuff like that. It's obviously a stimulant that would be fantastic for you to, I guess, yeah, raise your game. And then also recovery shakes because they'll be more sore potentially than the actual semi-pro or professional exam at the time to, you know, do all the other recovery practices that are necessary. So it's easily applicable to both. Okay, gotcha. I think those Sunday leaders, like a little bit of... um miss on my part to be like okay sunday leaguers what does that mean yeah and i think, I think it's yeah european thing uk Sunday. i don't know and you probably guys probably call it amateur league yeah yeah i think that's where it is okay cool so that's really interesting to see um or to hear about so i with education at least from malomo like post-purchase we see a lot of the need for, um, educating, obviously your customer, we've talked about it a lot, your consumer. Um, and so how do you actually roll out those strategies? Like after say, um, someone is buying from you, like what is the post-purchase journey look like for football subs? Yeah. Once they come to the funnel, we're trying to educate them also on the actual specific products and how to use them. And at what certain timings, that's probably the, the main focus for us. And also the continual educational process as to new new findings, new science um, in terms of the landscape of nutrition. Ah, okay. So you'll like write if, you know, like this comes in from like yeah. the nutritional level. Yeah. And so like FIFA wrote a new, did a new paper, did a new research document that stated, you know, players are not meeting elevated energy requirements. Uh, especially in the later in the last 20 minutes of the game because they are not topping up the top up the glycogen stores, etc. So yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. So yeah, you'll share that content, whether it's from like in-house or you know, other um FIFA or other, you know, yeah. organizations. Okay, so what and we're uh, a couple more questions for you. So um in terms of Retention and acquisition. I feel like a lot of the times they're pitted against each other because it's like, obviously a lot of brands want to acquire new customers. Like there's, that's right. Like that's how you do business. Um, yeah. So, but there's also the rising costs, um, of acquisition. And so with Maloma, which we're much more, and especially this podcast, we're much more focused on retention. They can obviously, they're obviously very tied. They're tied closely together. Um, but what would you say like for your strategy in terms of focusing on, do you focus on acquisition more? Do you focus on retention more? Is it kind of even split? What would you, what would you say there? Well, it's a new business. So it's all acquisition at the moment. We're not mm-hmm. investing heavily in retention until probably another 12 months time. Um, the retention is part of the educational process. So I'm sure we'll be able to retain people through that, but it's not something we're super focused on now because there's so much to test on acquisition level. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's where all our folks going at the moment. Okay. Super interesting. But, but just but just on that as well, like our main plan, I think this name like Cure Skincare, we like to have a retention model where we're having the influencers help us retain the, the customers. So mm-hmm. I think we look at influencer marketing to acquire customers. We're, that's two parts to it. They want to acquire customers for us. But at the same time, if they came through their funnel and they acquired our product through them, we also want to keep them via them, meaning that, you know, let's say football subs, if they had a recovery shake and I bought the recovery shake because of you as a player and I'm following you as a player, you'd want the player to consistently keep posting about the recovery shake to remind the player, the person that bought it to keep buying it as well, right? To keep the narrative yeah. going. 
you know, we don't want to just be, yeah, you work with influencer once and they convince the person to buy it and they never hear from them again. I think that's where we're going to keep a lot of our loyal customers. If they keep seeing that the people they bought it from are consistently using our products, I think that's where we're going to move. Yeah, I love that um, that focus on retaining like a good relationship with your influencers because you're exactly yeah. right. Where like, okay, say you you already spent all this time and energy and money maybe into obviously like acquiring, teaching the influencer about your brand, um, getting all the like the logistics on the back end to like set them up for success. And so the retention play obviously is like, okay, you've done all that work. How can you continue just to like iterate and make new relationships or keep bringing back customers who will be repeat customers? Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense with the, um, with the strategy behind that of like, you don't want just it to be like one, one touch with a influencer or with an influencer's community. And then like them never hear from you again. Cause then it like, it's, it's more transactional in that aspect and less relational. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, okay. So a little bit of a pivot, but I want to ask just because, you know, we're prepping for currently we're recording this early November holidays are coming up. Um, would you say in e-commerce in general, there's a huge push with like black Friday, cyber Monday sales and with football stuffs being on the younger side, is there, what is kind of like your prep for the holiday season? Is it a bit, is it a big thing? Are you feeling the stress right now? Um, yeah, we're, we're what still is it? same promos if no matter how old the business is, we also have world cup coming up, which is also big time mm-hmm. for general. So we're still having bundles and special deals for players, um, trying to increase average order value. And yeah, we're still we're still probably doing the same promotions we would in a year's time. Okay, cool. Yeah. So so your strategy doesn't really shift like seasonally. Like even also, if like the Yeah, our, our strategy is gonna shift depending on our product mix at the time. That's okay. probably the, the biggest yeah, lever for us changing any type of our strategy. It's what products we have in stock, what's new, what's old. Yeah, this is what's going to dictate a lot of our strategy. Okay, cool. That's that's interesting. I I very much feel like that just based off of talking with like other other brands and other partners on this podcast, um, but also like outside of it, I feel like there's a lot of stress, obviously, like everyone's feeling the pressure, but I respect that it, your strategy shifts based on the product and not necessarily the season. Cause I feel like changing with the season can sometimes lead to like, you know, things are rushed sometimes or they're, um, you know, you get to like black Friday, cyber Monday, and then you're like, Oh my God, we had all this stuff to do. And it was just like a little bit more chaotic. So yeah. that makes, that makes a lot of sense to like plan around the product availability instead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, one thing, that I absolutely love on this podcast is that we like get personal and that we also do the professional side of things. So I want to go a little bit more personal and this can, you can take this as like just general life advice or business or like found from a founder's um, perspective, but what's one piece of advice that, you know, um, you've gotten or that you would like to impart on like listeners, um, just like what, what would you attribute your success to, or your learnings to what's helped you along the way? I think that we all have to understand that stories are the operating system of the mind. And depending on the one narrative you're, I guess, fulfilling within yourself, is it's going to depend on the energy that your output is. 
I, I can remember one time, and this is consistent throughout my whole entrepreneurship, but there's one time where I lost five, six million dollars overnight when a mass retail just collapsed pretty much. Mm-hmm. A million dollar retail, so it's nothing that I really could foresee. And at that time, obviously, it took me an hour probably to get over it because I just rationalized it as this. Either I lost five or six million, or did I need to lose that five or six million because everyone that loses a lot of money and everyone has these massive downs always end up making it on the other, other side. Do you know what I mean? Like every massive mm-hmm. success story has a massive failure somewhere. And the fact that I had that massive failure meant that I was going to be a big success. So right. the time that I felt the worst, I ended up feeling the best. It was like an indication to me, like if this shit happens to me, like this means that, and I, and I survive it, like this means I'm actually going to do extremely well. So the right. time, like you're, yeah, go ahead. In, in the time of most uncertainty, if most people, I was the most certain of my future. Mm. You can never, because you can never control what you what you look at, but you can control what you see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's a great little, um, great little piece. It's kind of like, like the external you can't change or you can't influence like too many things are at yeah, play yeah. right there. But at least like you said, um, if you're in that spot, like you're affected by a major, you know, downswing or a major pitfall, you're there, right. That, it, that at least means you're playing the game, right. Like you have, um, in the same way that you have potential to fall back. Obviously you also have, like you said, the potential to, um, have things swing the other way and have, and have those huge successes. And I think that's a great way just to kind of look at, um, you know, there's always going to be ups and downs, but like you said, the perspective and how you're looking at it is what can, like how, what you can affect and how you can, you can, you can be the influence on how you're feeling. Yeah, so I love that. Yeah. This has been so fun, Matt. It's been great. Like just getting to talk to you, like ask questions. So thank you for making the time to like come on the podcast. Um, we very much, this is like our favorite thing to do. So. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Also you, you were great. I think uh, you asked some great questions and you listened in and you were able to, I guess, add value as well to some of my stories and concepts. So that was good. Oh, well, thank you. I will take that with me. That just made my day. Thank you, Matt.